0: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
1: From the Apostrophe
2: Podcast Network. Hello, everybody. You're surviving life with Les Stroud.
1: I'm not rage.
2: I met John Zada while filming the series Survivor Man Bigfoot. He was staying in a small cabin on the damp and dark green coasts of British Columbia, researching for his new book, In the Valleys of the Noble Beyond. Now, first for clarity, a "cryptid" is, if you're new to the term, an animal whose existence or survival is disputed or unsubstantiated, such as, you guessed it, Bigfoot. Well, John Zatta took cryptid research to the place most won't go. He wasn't asking how or if. He wasn't looking for footprints or hair samples. He was asking why. Why does the myth and legend of Sasquatch endure over hundreds of years, across the globe, and within hundreds of very different cultures? Let me read you the book's description. This evocative work of nature writing traverses the world's largest temperate rainforest, to uncover the legend of Sasquatch. Canada's Great Bear Rainforest is home to trees as tall as skyscrapers and moss as thick as a carpet. According to the people who live there, another giant may dwell in these woods. For centuries, locals have reported encounters with the Sasquatch, a species of hairy man-ape that could inhabit this pristine wilderness. Driven by his childhood obsession with the Sasquatch, yet trying to remain objective, Journalist John Zada seeks out the people and stories surrounding this enigmatic creature. He speaks with the local indigenous peoples and a Sasquatch-studying scientist. He hikes with a former bear hunter. And I would add to this, modestly, that he rubs shoulders with one survivor man, making a documentary series. Soon, he finds himself on a quest for something infinitely more complex, cutting across questions of human perception, scientific inquiry, indigenous traditions, the environment— and the power of the human imagination to believe in, or to outright dismiss, one of nature's last great mysteries. To set the stage, John and I sat outside by the lake in a couple of Muskoka chairs, or Adirondack chairs for you Americans, although we made them first. But I digress. We talked for hours, so this will again be a multi-part conversation where we explore the realms of belief and delusion on the subject of Sasquatch.
3: These are the words... Of John Zatta. We're all human. We all are influenced by the same factors that cause us to form our worldview. Whether it's Sasquatch or there could never be a Sasquatch, it's it's the same, it's the same psychological dynamics. When you
1: gather friends around you, you show off just your pride, and all your other feelings are locked up deep inside
3: created this lifelong fascination with mystery and intrigue and, you know, wildlife and the outdoors and creatures and landscape and place and story. It's kind of everything that I'm in love with and fascinated to this day. (laughs)
2: I have to admit when someone said there's an author here researching Sasquatch and you know would you like to meet him mm-hmm. because I was up there doing survivor man bigfoot I thought right away huh like I wonder if this guy is going to, if he's going to look at me, like you know, out of the side of his eyes, like, who's this Joker's doing television stuff? I wanted to try to impress upon you that that I was not, that I wasn't finding Bigfoot, for example, that I had some integrity to what I was doing. But I had no idea how you were going to respond. And then we go to this cabin, and there you are. But what was your, what did you think before I came, and what did you think after I we met? You were still shooting. This I hadn't. Series. I had not launched Survivor Man Bigfoot. It was just a. Ma- In fact. That may have been one of the first episodes I ever did, which was great because going to Clem 2 and meeting the Aboriginal culture set me on this other path intellectually of what it was I was dealing with. You were there writing a book and I didn't know if you were, because there's two different ways to research a subject. You're trying to prove it or you're researching it for a project. And I didn't know until I met you that you were researching it for a project. You weren't trying to prove anything.
3: Right. So, I mean, going back to the actual meeting moment, I mean, I think I've worked in television. I worked as a documentary producer and director. I've had some television experience before pivoting to writing. So, and I didn't know who you were because... um, You're Survivor Man, right? So um I got the knock on the door telling me that someone, you know, was on the phone and just called to say that that you were coming. And so I I had a vision in my mind of of who you were and what you would look like. But when you got off the boat with your production crew, you were kind of like, Ta-da! Hey man, I'm Survivor Man. Lestroud, how you doing? You know? I like the bombastic entrance, believe me. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, there was a little bit of the whole, I think, kind of show, like the TV thing and your charismatic character. And no doubt naturally so and no doubt partly cultivated right so there was a bit of that and but the fact that you were there in a place that i had traveled in and fallen in love with and had gone back to to write the book and you were going to a community that i already visited and you you had contacts that i knew and you'd spoken to john bindenago and when you meet somebody for the first time and there is all this crossover and overlap it does Soften your regard for them, right? and so and I think that was the the initial impression that I had. and then you know, finally, we kind of went to talk business in the cabin, and you're asking about you know some leads and some ideas, and it was it was a really, really cool discussion, and everything. so I think, yeah, maybe there was a little bit of that whole author TV star kind of i don't know not Fr- uh, friction almost. Uh, Well, yeah the, yeah, I don't know it's maybe more it's kind of a mental division, let's say, or, or just or just preconception, right. Uh, it's nothing as harsh as a kind of conflict. I think by the time you'd left the cabin and sort of got on the boat and drove off into the the sunset of Llama Pass, we'd forged a, a little bit of a bond in terms of our yeah. mutual interest.
2: I expect usually the, uh, who's this joker? Preconception. By the way, and this is a, a horror, maybe I shouldn't mention the name, So it's but I will because it's so cool. And it's a horrible name drop. But I once said something to uh, Margaret Atwood. I met her and, and I said, you know, you're you're nothing at all like I thought you were going to be. And she didn't even ask me what I thought she was going to be. She just goes, well, that's because you're a snob. <laughs> and I was like, kaboom! She's like, whoa! Margaret Atwood just just like did a Superman punch on me. But she was right. I thought she was going to be sort of this feminist, ex-hippie type. and She was nothing like that at all. And then we got on famously. I know that, that, that I have that coming to me if I show up as Survivor Man. And I was fresh off of very much so doing a lot of Survivor Man stuff. However, the approach to Sasquatch as a phenomenon, as a subject matter, for me was all about realism, if I can, integrity. Approaching the subject matter seriously, like I seriously wanted to know. I wasn't up there to make a TV show.
3: Right, right. And I mean, that's that's the impression that I got from you since meeting you is that you're a guy who. Really wants to do the stuff he wants to do, and he wants to do it seriously, and doesn't, you know, wants to compromise as little as possible. So, um, you know, that drives with, with with my view of you now. I'm trying to
2: remember my own impression on the moment. I think part of it was, oh no, <laughs> this this like going to the gold rush, like you know, somebody's beating me to this other way of approaching the subject matter. And of course, that that was completely a a stupid way to think as well. On my part, it was a stupid way to think because you were writing a book. I was doing a television series. The, The way we were going to do things was going to be drastically different, even if our angle is the same. And I think our angle was the same. Our angle was, what's this all about, really? Never mind the stuff I'm hearing elsewhere in media. What's this really all about? Let's go back a little further. How young were you when the concept of Bigfoot became something in your brain and how did you react to it then and how did it come back to
3: haunt you later, so to speak? I grew up in the late 70s and early 80s. Like that was, I can't remember the exact age I was at, but but I mean, I was in that pre-teen, you know, kid period when Sasquatch was a, was spiked as a pop culture phenomenon and there were movies being made, made for TV, flicks. There was, you know, The Six Million Dollar Man. There was all this, you know, The Abominable Snowman kind of animation cartoon thing the theme of the wild man was pretty much everywhere and i don't know the exact moment it hit me it was it was sort of between two things i think it was it was either andre the giant playing the wild man the bionic wild man on the six million dollar man show and if anyone who's you know younger than us hasn't seen it you can go on to youtube and, oh it's and, hilarious and, and check it out yeah i've, it's I've never of, forgotten it i think the way they the show portrayed the creature was less ape and more humanoid, more like it had more human qualities. And I think that's what frightened me so much about it. Because when you look at a gorilla, for instance, it's, you, you get the sense that, OK, they could be intelligent, but they're still animals. And so, but this thing, this thing that, that Andre the Giant played very well, he's a, he was a huge, huge, massive man. I mean, it was, a, it was a frightening being. So I think that imprinted itself on my brain. That combined with my reading books at around the same time at the public library by a guy by the name of John Green, who was, I, I would say he's pretty much considered to be the first serious journalistic investigator of the Sasquatch phenomenon. He used to be the the uh, mayor of Harrison Hot Springs in British Columbia, and he ran the newspaper there. His books, I think, really are what brought it to the wider public's attention outside of stuff like the, the Patterson-Gimlin film. And so... I was hooked. I was hooked at a really young age. I thought oh, this is a really, really, really interesting subject. I grew up in a suburb, which was, you know, not very interesting. And I was looking what, for what suburb?
2: What suburb did you grow up? In?
3: I was I was in Thornhill. Okay, outside of outside of Toronto. Basically. So I was in
2: Mimico, okay. su- southern end of Etobicoke. Okay. So we would actually we played you in hockey,
3: right? Right. And maybe back then you, you could get from one to the other through the green belts or something, right? So I played a lot of green belts, and that also widened my interest in foresty things. But um. I'm a traveler, I'm a writer, I'm a journalist. I've been, you know, going all over the world. I've had the travel bug in me since probably the moment I knew my parents came from, you know, another continent, the Middle East. And I always wanted to to travel. I think all those things came together in a perfect storm and created this lifelong fascination with mystery and intrigue and wildlife and the outdoors and creatures and landscape and place and... Stories. It's kind of everything that I'm that I'm in love with and fascinated to this day. So I, I think, yeah, it's sort of a confluence of a factor.
2: Does it feel like the phenomenon of Sasquatch that all of that comes together in that one image? This. Yeah image represents what it means to be connected to nature. I'm actually getting way ahead of myself, but touching on our youth and our past, let me go a step further and say, it's almost like when we think we want to be connected to nature, quote unquote, whatever that means. And then you hear about this being, and you're right, if it is an ape, well, whatever, we're going to shoot it, we're going to put it in a zoo. It's just an ape, and it's spooky, but then, you know, walking through the jungles of India with tigers out there is spooky too. So it's just an ape. But when you give it the Andre the Giant personification and say, well, actually, no, myth has it that it's not really an ape. It's a massive, hairy human. You're right, that all of a sudden slots it in a different on a different plateau. Right,
3: well, I, t- I tell people who, you know, don't know much about the whole phenomenon. They don't really understand the concept of the Sasquatch. I mean, I I often explain to them that the creature embodies an essence, which you can only really get by going to really beautiful, pristine, mystical landscapes. Like, it is a kind of personification of nature through the human or humanoid form. It's, It's almost like we take that sublime, transcendental vibe or feeling that you get in a really, really beautiful place, that almost Shangri-La type of feel. And you almost inject it into the penultimate denizen, the, the penultimate resident of that landscape. And and I wonder if in a way it's it's us seeing ourselves way back thousands, perhaps hundreds of thousands of years ago, we used to probably live in that way. When, when I talked to the First Nations people on the, the West Coast, they would often say that the Sasquatch, it harkened back to what they used to be. And I think because we're all human, doesn't matter what our ethnicity is, we all have common origins. I think we all have that same sort of image lying inside of us, buried really deeply. I think some more than others. I mean, I think if you talk to people who, you know, women wearing like high heels and flashy purses and stuff, like th- they may not express that. I'll be right back
2: with more from John Zada, author of In the Valleys of the Noble Beyond. But first... I was running dog teams in the Arctic. While staying at a cabin looking after a team of 16 Inuit sled dogs, I saw an old guitar standing up in the corner. I picked it up, and after not playing a single note of music for the past 10 years, I wrote this song. From my debut album, this is Ride On.
1: Fire at midnight, burning on and on. I see your eyes shining when you sing your song. When the wind blows through the forests and the sun shines through the trees, it's then you feel your strongest, and there's no one else to please. Right on Gather friends around you to show off just your pride and all your other feelings are locked up deep inside when you break out from the city and you feel the mountain air. Children, you find strength to believe in the eyes of your elders. You find strength to need, since no one has the answer to bring you peace of mind. Let faith move the mountains, and we all.
0: and Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at
2: airbnb.com slash host. You're surviving life with Les Stroud. You experienced the phenomenon, uh, we'll say, intellectually or visually. However, as a, a younger person, how old, can I ask how old you are? I'm forty-eight. Forty-eight. Yeah. So forty-eight. So in the seventies, you're quite young then. You yeah, were, I was born like, in
3: seventy-one. So there you let's go. say, but in seventy-nine, I was eight years old.
2: Okay, so you're so that age group, eight years old. I'm older than you, so I'm a teenager at that point. We've got the, the Six Million Dollar Man episode, which is infamous. Uh, was Harry and the Hendersons a thing yet? I
3: think that was later. That came that later. That might have been like late 80s or early 90s.
2: It seems to have come and gone in waves. Obviously, we, we're all familiar with the latest wave, which is, by the way, is now, it crested, and now it's falling and it's got into weird places now. Yeah. What was the year that the uh, the tracks and the turning over the construction equipment, was that 58? 58. 58. Yeah, 58, I was going to say 57, yeah. 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 So 58, and then Patterson-Gimlin footage was? 67. 67, so mm-hmm. 10 years there. Mm-hmm. And then you look at 77, yeah. right? And, yeah. and you start to see it again sure. cropping up. So there's this kind of 10-year cyclical thing going on in your mind as a eight-year-old coming out of the seventies with the bigfoot, did it did it stay with you forever and dogged you every year of your life, or did it go away and stick with it, or, or or did it come back I, later? I
3: think, I mean, I carried it with me into into high school in the eighties, and it began to wane in the eighties. I think, from my perspective, maybe older people who were who are listening to this and were more active in the pursuit would disagree. But from the perspective of a teen in Toronto, I think I subscribed to some newsletter that was around, but it really began to peter out and I took it into high school and then by university, my undergrad in the early 90s, it was 90, I think I started, you start being interested in, you know, girls and and, and other things and big hairy men in the parties and the whole thing. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it, well, you got
2: to be careful that you don't geek out too, because you know, most reactions to you are going to be what
3: Uh, dude, seriously. Right.
2: Right. Like, no, they don't exist. That's just all You know, but even
3: it was funny even then, I mean, even in, I think it was grade 12, in one of my classes, I don't remember which it was, we had a supply teacher in. I was supposed to give some kind of a, a talk or a lecture or a presentation about something. And I think at the last minute, I because the teacher wasn't in, I, I made it about Sasquatch. No way. And I just completely, completely winged it. I don't know, it just, it like worked and everyone was really, really, really interested in it. And, oh, by the way, yeah, in grade 11, I took a, it was a science course. I did a science course in grade 11 with, it might've been like biology or, or chemistry, but we were allowed to do an essay on anything at the end of the year. So I actually did it on Sasquatch. Wow. And when I got the paper back, I got like a C. The teacher wrote something like, is this a science paper? I have my doubts. <laughs> and I actually have, I've, I think I've got it. Your first day. skeptic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The first yeah, official Bigfoot yeah, yeah. skeptic. And that, that may have been sort of the last year or few years where I was actually, you know, playing with the idea in my mind. And then a couple of years later into university, I think it was sort of gone. More or less. I mean, it doesn't really ever leave you, I don't think. That one line right
2: there, I think carries a lot more weight than you might think it does, or you, you probably would get this as I say it, and that is that it never really leaves you. I think that is a very strong truism for anyone, certainly, who's had any kind of experience. I... Felt very much like I didn't know what I was getting myself into when I got into it. I'd had experiences, but they were always shelved. As I look back, it is that feeling like, you know, this never really left me. It had, There was an experience, you know, when I was younger. And, and, it, and mine started the same place. It started in the 70s, seeing those programs. I'm sure I probably saw a book somewhere, you know. And it would have been a John Green book, actually. Not being a researcher as much as, say, you likely were. I didn't put the time into studying. I can't believe you did a project in high school about it. That blows my mind.
3: Yeah, well, it was like a six-page essay. It was like a short, short science essay where I basically unpacked a few of the arguments and even used, like, scientific stuff that maybe John Napier wrote about or whatever. So it wasn't, like, entirely... I mean, even though it is considered a pseudoscience topic still by a lot of people, I still kind of approached it in a bit... Even the title, I think it was, like, the likelihood of, I don't know, like primates living in north america or non-human it was it was that kind of scientific jargon that i put it in but still it didn't convince mr i think it was mr devellis that was his name he was
2: i don't imagine did he get you a lot of dates <laughs> no. not likely no, no no
3: he kept them all. that's
2: no. not it's 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 funny jumping forward when i launched the survive man series i wanted to kind of undertake this angle where i thought look come on everybody This is actually really cool stuff. We were such geeks in survival before the Survivor Man thing went on TV. I thought Bigfoot, the same sort of thing. I thought, you know, this could be actually, everybody thinks if you bring up Bigfoot, you're just this weird geek who's fascinated with a mythological uh, Santa Claus unicorn kind of creature. But no, it's cooler than that. I mean, there's actually, dare I say it, there's, there's actually cool factor associated with this particular phenomenon, what made you come back to it later in life? What made you get serious about it?
3: Again, it it sort of comes down to circumstances. I traveled to British Columbia for the first time in 1998 to visit a buddy of mine who'd moved to a town called Nelson in the Kootenays. On, you know close to the u s border in the interior of b c and I spent about a week there. It was winter time, and him and I went on a hike, a day hike one day, just you know we were just kind of bumming around for the week outside of nelson b c yeah okay. yeah so at the, you know if you follow the street he lived on, it sort of went right up the mountain and then at the very end of the street, the pavement ended, and then this trail began and I think it followed parallel with some railway tracks that sort of Hugged the mountainside, and we went on this hike. It, we intended to be out for as long as it was daylight, and not very long during the winter. And about two hours in, we hadn't seen anyone on the trail. About two hours in, we stopped to dig into to our trail mix and you know rest and take a break. And as we were standing there, we we started hearing this movement up the mountain, like and behind us, sort and it was moving. It seemed parallel to the trail we were following, but above us and. As it kept moving, it got closer and closer. And as it got closer and closer, we could tell that it was a kind of a bipedal sounding movement. like, pff, 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 pff. And there was a lot of snow. I think it had hardened a little bit, so it was a bit crunchy, which, which magnified the sound. It was definitely moving on two feet, and, and you could almost even hear this breathing. So it was like... Pff, pff, pff kind of this like labored breath that was, that was going in parallel with the steps. And, and the most, I think, frightening thing, I mean, we, it was daytime. There was no reason for us to, to be nervous or to be worried or whatever. It was broad daylight and we were together and, you know, we were on a trail that is fairly well used. But what I think really spooked us was that the noise was so loud and so clear. It was almost like it was stereo surround sound. But we couldn't see the thing. We couldn't see what it was. And, you know, there were trees off to the side of the trail going up the hill that were, like, packed with snow on their branches. And there there wasn't even, like, there was no disturbance even in the trees. No snow falling off the branches. And it walked right past us, above us, right? And it was, like, almost like there was, like, an elephant there or something. It was that much of a presence. And... We just kind of, as it disappeared, the sound, we just kind of looking at each other going like, what the hell was that? And we were trying to figure out what it was and then it came back. And I think, I don't know, we didn't even say anything. We just broke into a sprint at the same time when we knew it was coming back and we like ran all the way back to to the top of the street in town and... I think we just spent the rest of the day trying to figure out what had happened. And and in my mind, obviously, because I grew up with it, because I was conditioned by it, because it was like, I was essentially, I was brainwashed by Sasquatch through the books and through my own thinking. I'm like, that was a Sasquatch. Mm-hmm. I sought out the local Sasquatch expert in Nelson before I left. I talked to him. He told me all this stuff. And I think that's where it began. And then going further in the years into adulthood, I just kept meeting other people who had, like, experiences, like, acquaintances and people who weren't even, who weren't even, like, interested in Sasquatch. Hey, hey, did your, did your friend agree? He did at the time, but then he just, he kind of just forgot about it. He was just, I think for him it was... It was a really really interesting experience and didn't grab him as much. But make- but he
2: but he didn't he didn't fight it. No, he
3: didn't. He didn't. He like he he ran. He ran as fast as I did. I think we were sprinting back to the street like it was it may have been a race, right? Do you, so
2: Do you regret not Going to see or not waiting to see or not investigating? Do you regret that at all?
3: Well, I, you know, I mean, I in, no, in retrospect... When I, I say I don't, regret, yeah, I just mean like yeah. kick yourself. You no, know, I mean, little I, little. Think, I think it would, have been, it would have been kind of... It would have been obviously better to, to stay cool or to go back or go and look at, either at the time or later. But yeah, no, I was just... I think we just wanted to like get the hell out of there. And
2: in, in hindsight, it's easy to say, well, dude, why didn't you stop and wait and hide? Why didn't you go up and check out the... Tra-? Because when you're there... The, the What grips you
3: is not, oh, yeah, I'm just going to take a picture. It's it's the fight or flight response. And that is a survival mechanism. And so th- that is designed to override your curiosity to go see what that thing is that may end up killing you. So, um so I, no, I, I don't really regret it. But, yeah, th- that's, I think, what brought it back. And interestingly enough, we're in the woods in Ontario here. And that was one thing that really brought me back. But the next thing that brought me back, and we'll get afterwards to the book, but... I had a job in Toronto a few years later and I was working, it's just kind of a mundane gig as I was trying to sort of forge my media career and everything. And a guy from my work comes up to me one day, he goes, hey, did you hear, did you hear uh, what happened to Carm on the weekend? And Carm, Carmela, the woman I used to work with at the time. He goes. I think she saw Sasquatch. And the guy who came up to me didn't know that I had an interest in this. He was just kind of like a little bit water of, a cooler little talk. bit of, yeah, yeah, a little bit of a rumor going around at work. And so I'm like, whoa. So then I go and corner Carm and ask her about it, and she just like didn't want to talk about it. She's like, nothing happened, nothing happened. I'm like, come on, come on. She's like, no, no. So I had to like, bug her for like days and weeks, and finally, I think she had just tired of my incessant pestering and told me that. She on a weekend with her boyfriend had driven up to their family cottage, probably she probably not far from here, somewhere around. I think it was like near Collingwood, so, sure. somewhere yep. maybe along the Niagara Escarpment, some it's of the woods, here, yeah, yeah. And she said they were driving at night. They, I think, they were coming back from having a drink at at a bar or something, and they were on one of these rural roads, and they came to a stop sign, and then she said this thing came out of the woods and crossed the road. Right in front of them. And when I said, you know, what did it look like? She goes, it was just a huge, furry, giant-like man. And she said, it shuffled across the road. She goes, the walk was funny. It was a shuffling. And this was back like at around 2000, 2001, way before Google, you know, she was like this, you know, really kind of innocent, sheltered Italian girl from Woodbridge. And she had no knowledge of this stuff, no interest. And she said that her boyfriend was like st- so stricken with fear that after the thing had crossed the road, one, he wouldn't talk about it. And two, he denied that it even happened. Like he said, yes, but then at the same, but like, we can we can't talk about this. I don't want to talk about it. Like, let's just forget about it. And it's those sorts of stories from people who are not interested in the subject that really get you thinking about that this may not be necessarily a projection of, of some belief that already pre-existed in some, someone's mind. So I think those two incidents really kind of got me back into it as an adult. And then, the, you know, the internet kicked in and then Google showed up. And then, and then lo and behold, everybody became into Sasquatch yeah, <laughs> and started their own webpage and their own reports and, you know, traded information. And I think it just it, like the internet did with everything else. It changed the nature of that field.
2: Here's an interesting little test to do rate in the order of probability of existence, God, angels, demons, ghosts, and Bigfoot. That's all. It can be revealing. Stay tuned for part two of my continued conversation with the author John Zada on his book, In the Valleys of the Noble Beyond. I personally don't believe that Keith Omen purported to be my engineer for these podcasts, even exists. I'm a member of the Apostrophe Podcast Network, whom are in reality a pack of cryptids lurking about in the snows of northern Ontario. Stick around, everyone. We'll figure this out. Together. Oh, hang on, one more thing. Okay, well, a couple of things. Please go check out my YouTube channel, Survivor Man Les Stroud, where I not only upload these podcasts, but also hundreds of other videos going up weekly. And try to catch my new series on public television, Les Stroud's Wild Harvest. Lastly, do a Google search for my brand new children's book, Wild Outside Around the World with Survivor Man. It's for 7 to 12 year olds, packed with outdoor adventures and activities they can do and tips.